Paul's pointing out here that, look, Christ is the only one we should follow. He and Peter and Apollos are workers just like everyone else in the church, each according to his or her gifts. That's who they are. Christ is the one who we follow. That was Pastor David Robinson from Axe Church in Camas, Washington, and this is Contemplate. I'm Ron Hagelgans. Thanks for joining us today as we continue the series Contentment in Christ. We're in Acts chapter 18 and Paul's second missionary journey, and once again we'll be inspired by Paul's unquenchable desire to preach Christ. We'll meet Apollos and begin to learn about the importance of unity in the church. Another great episode is on the way, so let's dive in. Here's Pastor David. God changes the heart. You're not going to change anybody's heart. I don't care how good you are of an arguer. I don't care how eloquent your speech is. You cannot change hearts. God changes hearts. He works with people. Your responsibility is to speak the truth. And if they reject it, then that's their issue between them and God. Let's look at the next verse. Verse 7. And he departed from there. And entered the house of a certain man named Justice, one who worshipped God, whose house was next door to the synagogue. So kind of anticlimactic, a little awkward, like, I'm out of here, and shakes his thing up. He walks like three steps and goes to the guy's house next door and stays there. So every time they're coming to church, it's like he's still there. Um, so kind of weird, but actually uh, you're going to see it works out pretty well uh, for, for Paul and for the kingdom of God. If we look at the next verse, it says, Then Crispus the ruler of the synagogue believed on the Lord with all his household, and many of the Corinthians hearing believed and were baptized. So apparently being in proximity to the synagogue maybe was a clever idea because Paul, even though he was no longer speaking directly to the synagogue because they were rejecting it, maybe he was having some opportunities to be around those who were around the synagogue. And in this case, Crispus, who was the leader of the synagogue, ends up relenting from rejecting Christ and accepts Christ, believes his entire household is saved, and then a bunch of other people in Corinth, including, I'm guessing, some of the people who were in the synagogue who before had been rejecting Paul. They come to him. You never know what the Lord is going to do through you and your testimony. You never know what the Lord is going to do through those that he uses you to bring the word to and who come to believe in him. You never know what power and how far out those ripples are going to go. And in this case, one guy comes, then his household comes, then a bunch of other Corinthians come to know the Lord. And so it, it turns out to be an amazing thing. This guy believes his household, they get baptized, they're saved. Um, Jesus has a way of multiplying his disciples. And he does it his own way, which I think is pretty cool. So let's look at verses 9 through 11. It says, Now the Lord spoke to Paul in the night by a vision. Do not be afraid, but speak and do not keep silent, for I am with you and no one will attack you to hurt you, for I have many people in this city. And he continued there a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. All right. So, uh, Jesus comes, the Lord comes, and speaks to Paul in a vision at night. And he basically says, Hey, listen, you don't have to worry. No one's going to attack you and hurt you. Now, for Paul, I can just imagine this was probably incredibly relieving. Um, he has been in a lot of situations where that promise wasn't given, where it was, you've got to speak and 
bad things might happen. They might start throwing rocks at you. Uh, sometimes they did. And so now for Paul to get sort of the green light with the Lord saying, listen, in this situation, I'm actually completely protecting you from persecution. You're going to have the opportunity to really disciple this group of people over a long period of time, which he did. Over a year and a half, Paul stays in Corinth and gets to preach and teach the word of God to these people. And that's an awesome experience that these guys got to have. What an amazing way to get your church plant started, to have the Apostle Paul there for a year and a half as your pastor. Really, really getting you into the, the doctrines, the beliefs, what you need to know, what you need to understand. Um, it was an amazing thing for them. And so I think Paul's pretty happy at this point. Uh, let's see what happens in verse 12. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, and he would have, as proconsul of Achaia, he would have been at Corinth, right? Because I told you that's the seat of government there. When Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews, with one accord, rose up against Paul and brought him to the judgment seat, saying, This fellow persuades men to worship God contrary to the law. Uh, Gallio, we have actually a lot of information about in history from other authors outside of Scripture. Um, we know who he was. It's actually one of the ways that we're able to date this time really effectively of when this happened because we have all this information about Gallio and when he was there in this time, okay? So it would have been around 52 A.D. Gallio was kind of a famous guy. He was the brother of uh, the Stoic philosopher Seneca, um, and he was well-connected in Rome. And he, was a, he was a judge, a jurist, a, a, you know, he was a government official who had a lot of power and who was well-respected. And so any ruling that he gives, as these guys take Paul and put Paul in front of this guy and accuse him of this, any ruling that he gives is likely to have far-reaching implications beyond the city of Corinth, certainly to Achaia and maybe further. So if he comes and says, yes, Christianity is against the law, that's going to have significant impact on a lot of people who are coming to know the Lord right now. So this is a big moment in legal history for the church at this time. So let's look at what happens. It says, And when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If for a matter of wrongdoing or wicked crimes, O Jews, where, there would be reason why I should bear with you. But if it is a question of words and names and your own law, look to it yourselves, for I do not want to be a judge of such matters. And he drove them from the judgment seat. Okay, let me set the stage a little bit here. What's the question? What's the legal question? I know you guys love it when I get all lawyer nerdy on you. Okay, what's the legal question, class? The legal question here is the Jews are saying Christianity is a new religion. It's a totally new sect, and, and we've talked before about how the Romans actually said what religions you could do and what religions you couldn't do. They did speak to those. Now, normally, they were pretty whatever about it. It's not like they were chasing down every new idea and trying to persecute it. But, of course, if you really wanted to persecute somebody, you could appeal to the law. So they're saying, hey, these guys, Paul and, and, and these people are coming in, and they're teaching people this new religion, which is against the law. They're, they're worshiping God against the law. Now, the other argument would be that Christianity has come out of Judaism, that Judaism was there, and then Christianity is, is Judaism going forward. Jesus has come. He's fulfilled it. It's part of Judaism. Now, the question is, should a judge in this case look into the specifics 
to figure out whether this is a new religion or a Jewish religion. I like the fact that Paul is about to make his argument. You know Paul likes to argue. Uh, that's, that's his thing. I, I, I don't know a lot of people like that, um, but I do know that, that Paul liked to argue, and, and I kind of like him for that. But he's ready to, to hold forth. He's going to give his legal arguments. He's going to give his thing. He's like, and the guy just starts talking. Galio starts talking. Paul doesn't even have to say a word. Galio comes out and says, listen, give me a break. You want me to get the Torah out? and start to decide whether or not Christianity is really a good part of Judaism or not, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to get into your religious text to figure this out. Remember, the Jews already had multiple sects of people. We had the Pharisees, we had the Sadducees, we had the Essenes. So they were already divided. They're already split up into, into multiple things, and they certainly weren't asking the Romans to say, oh, this one, this sect, or that sect is illegal. And so when they come and say, this sect of Christians is an illegal religion, Galileo says, I'm not getting involved in that. And by the way, it's still the case to this day. So if you were to go to, to court and you were to say, um, you know, I don't think this person should have done this or that within the church because we think that Scripture says it shouldn't happen or something like that, which people sometimes have done. They've asked the courts to make rulings like that. It's called a non-justiciable issue. Okay, new word. Uh, a lot of letters in that one. Non-justiciable. He basically says, look, you don't have standing to come before this secular court to talk about these things. And so consistently in American jurisprudence, in American law, we have said the court will not answer questions that are specific to a religion. It goes all the way back in this era. It was still going on. Now, we have the First Amendment which makes it particularly important that the court does not come in and start making pronouncements and judgments about what's in the Bible or any text. That's important, but actually this is just a wise rule in general, and Galileo recognized that and said, the last thing I want to do is be the arbiter between people within a religion. Those are, those are deep waters that they would not be wise to wade in, and so that's what happens here, and Galileo says, get out of here. Get out. Why'd you bring this nonsense to me? You know I'm not going to get into this. You're just trying to persecute this guy. Let's look at the next verse, 17. It says, Then all the Greeks took Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. So, apparently... There's enough anti-Semitism, enough racism against Jewish people that after they try to pull this thing, the Greeks get together and beat down the leader of the synagogue, who would have been one of the people who brought Paul there, assumedly, um, in front of the judgment seat, and Gallio doesn't even care. He doesn't even care. Now, now Paul probably did care. Paul was probably very concerned about this because he knows exactly what it's like to be persecuted, to be beaten, and so on. And so he probably had a heart for Sosthenes. There's some um, that would talk about Sosthenes. Who, there's a guy named Sosthenes mentioned in 1 Corinthians as a believer. And some people think this might be the same guy. We have no way of knowing that. But of course it's possible. It's possible that Paul felt bad, ministered to this guy, and he came to know the Lord. I don't know. Um, but certainly it was a bad thing, and it was an unfortunate thing. It was not a good thing for the Jewish folks. But I will tell you what did happen. Jesus... The Lord, when he spoke to Paul in that vision and told him it wasn't going to be hurt, that came true. They tried to do it, and where in the past they'd been successful, here in Corinth, he was clearly protected. He didn't even have to speak to defend himself. Paul was not hurt or injured here in Corinth, and so that was a good thing for him. Let's look at uh, 18, 18 through 23. So, Paul still remained a good while. Then he took leave of the brethren and sailed for Syria. 
and Priscilla and Aquila were with him. He had his hair cut off at Centria, for he had taken a vow, and he came to Ephesus and left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay a longer time with them, he did not consent, but took leave of them, saying, I must by all means keep this coming feast in Jerusalem, but I will return again to you, God willing. And he sailed from Ephesus, and when he had landed at Caesarea and had gone up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch. After he had spent some time there, he departed and went over the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, in order strengthening all the disciples. Okay, that's a lot of travel and a lot of stuff in a few verses. This is the end of this missionary journey of Paul's. He stays a while after this event in Corinth, then he takes Aquila and Priscilla, and sails for Syria. Before he does that, he gets his hair cut off because he had taken a vow. What does that mean? What are they talking about? Uh, this is probably a Nazarite vow. If you want to know more about a Nazarite vow, go to Numbers 6 and read through Numbers 6, and you'll see what a Nazarite vow was. Essentially, it was a vow that you would take uh, where you would not take anything to your hair. You would not cut your hair at all, and you would not drink any wine, and you would not touch dead bodies and stuff. It was a, it was a particular time where you were setting yourself apart to the Lord. And, and he goes and he gets his hair cut off. And what he would have done is he would have taken his hair and when he went back to Jerusalem to the temple, he would have brought the hair with him. Thanks, Paul, uh, for your hair. Um, he would have brought the hair with him and a sacrifice. And you can read all about that in number six, what he would have done. We don't know exactly what purpose he did the Nazarite vow for. Um, perhaps it was to connect better with the Jewish folks there. Perhaps there was a particular reason between him and the Lord for it. We just know that he took it. He then travels to Ephesus and goes to the synagogue, reasons with the Jews, and apparently they're very receptive to it because they're like, dude, stay. Stay with us for a while. And Paul says, no, I have to go to Jerusalem to keep the feast, but Lord willing, God willing, I'll be back. Um, spoiler alert, he will be back. Um, but they wanted to hear from him, so that was a good thing. Things are actually going to Corinth and Ephesus, things are going better than they had in the last uh, few places that we'd seen him, other than maybe Berea. And so he sails to Caesarea, and then he goes down to Jerusalem, and then he goes back to Antioch, where he started, okay? So let's get the map up, just so we can see the total of this missionary journey. You see that he starts in Antioch, he goes around, he comes all, all the way back, goes back through Ephesus, Caesarea, down to Jerusalem, back up to Antioch. These couple of verses here have Paul traveling about 1,500 miles. So a lot's going on that we don't hear about. We aren't, we aren't told every single thing that happens for Paul. This would have taken some time. This is like a missionary coming back uh, from their trip and, and connecting with the church in Jerusalem and the church in Antioch that was ascending church. Um, occasionally we have something like that happen like today. Because Steve Bragg is back here in the back, if you guys can see him. Yeah, give Steve a hand. He's quite a guy. I like Steve. Um, but Steve is back, right? He's, he's made his straight. Now, he gets to fly in an airplane. It still takes a really long time, like, what, 30 hours or something to get here? Which, no thank you. No gracias. Um, but he, uh, although I will be going there in October. So, um, But Steve uh, has come back, and when he comes back, he encourages us and lets us know what's going on. Of course, we also have Skype, which Paul did not have, and so we regularly actually are able to get reports from Steve. But to be back with the brothers and sisters in Christ that he had in these churches would have been an amazing time for him. Then it says that he heads back out. Okay, we don't know exactly how long this all goes on, but he heads back out, and he's actually traveling back to Ephesus. But instead of taking a boat, he goes overland so that he can go back to the churches he visited first in Galatia and Phrygia, um, those, those churches that we read about in the first part of the missionary journey last time. Now, that's the end of the, that missionary journey and the start 
of the next one. There's one more piece of chapter 18 that I want to get into, and it has to do with a new guy named Apollos. Apollos. So let's read about Apollos really quick. I'm just going to walk through the last part of the chapter. It says, Now a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria. Alexandria was a major, major city founded by Alexander the Great. This was a major uh, uh, Hellenistic, right, Greek culture, of course, Roman um, at the time. And he's an eloquent man, it says. He's eloquent and mighty in the Scriptures. Now that is a really nice thing to say about somebody. Apollos was an eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures. The guy could preach. He could preach. He could argue. He could persuade. Apollos was legit as far as being a preacher goes. All right, so he's all these things. He comes to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, so he knew about Jesus. And being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. Now that's such a very cool verse to me, that this guy, this incredible preacher, speaker, you know, he's, he's just wowing the crowds with whatever, and Aquila and Priscilla quietly take him and disciple him. Right, this husband and wife who know the scripture, who know Jesus, they come and they take this guy and they're like, this guy has all kinds of gifts. We need to make sure that he understands the doctrine correctly. So they take him aside and they teach him these things. Okay, Priscilla and Aquila are, are awesome. All right, they took him aside and explained him the way of God more quickly. And when he desired to cross to Achaia, where's Achaia? Where we just were, where Corinth is. Okay, he wants to go to Corinth. He wants to go back to Achaia. The brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him. And when he arrived, he greatly helped those who had believed through grace, for he vigorously refuted the Jews, publicly showing from the scriptures that Jesus is the Christ. So this is our new guy, Apollos, this preacher, powerful preacher and speaker. It's exciting. It's exciting when, when people can come and they can powerfully proclaim the word of God. It's a blessing to us um, to see that. But that's who Apollos was. Now, that's the end of chapter 18, and you're probably thinking, what were you talking about with all this division stuff? I forgot. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, I do know what I'm talking about. we we got to flesh out this story. There's, we have to first understand this. The Apostle Paul was there in Corinth for a year and a half. A year and a half solidly teaching these people. No internet, no television, no whatever. They were getting together a lot. They got a lot of teaching. They were set up well. It's hard to imagine a way in which they could have been set up better than they were. Now, Corinth was a, was a nasty city. There was a lot of immorality. There was a lot of bad stuff going on. But Paul had been there, effectively speaking, modeling the Christian life, teaching the Word of God powerfully. Not only that, they then had Apollos come out, who was a very effective preacher, speaker, and was refuted the Jews publicly. So they had had a lot of benefits, a lot of benefits, a lot of discipleship, a lot of teaching. Now, a couple years later, Paul's in Ephesus, and we'll get to where he's in Ephesus here in a minute. Just a few years later, 54 to 56 AD, we have the, the book of 1 Corinthians, which is a letter written to this church in Corinth. And in this letter, Paul has to call them out for some things. I'm talking a few years. He's given them all this teaching. They're all set up. They're all ready to go a few years. And this is what he writes to them in 1 Corinthians, starting in chapter 1, verse 10 through 13. Now I plead with you, brethren... By the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. 
Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, which is Peter, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul? He goes on in chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one? I planted Apollos water, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. A couple years, a few years, and the church is so divided that they're literally subdividing out into I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Peter, Cephas, I'm of Christ. The ones who said I'm of Christ were the ones who are right, by the way. Um, that's who you want to be of. Paul can't save you. Neither can any of these other guys. Uh, these guys have, have really gotten jacked up. Now, there's a lot of other ways in which they got jacked up. First Corinthians has a lot of stuff, but this is, the, this is what I want to deal with today. There are, there are aspects of divisions that exist in the church. Uh, one would be division within a local church. People simply not being able to get along with one another, not being able to, to forbear with one another, not being able to deal with one another um, in, in a pleasant way, not being able to feel comfortable around another, one another, and so divisions arise. Um, there's all kinds of things that can cause that. Uh, but there's also divisions within the universal church. Now, if you don't know a lot about the difference between the local church and the universal church, let's, let's simplify. The local church is like this church, okay, a local expression of the body of Christ, the universal church is all the Christ followers, period. Everybody who follows Christ. Um, we read earlier from the prayer of Jesus that his desire was that all of us, all of his disciples would be one. Would be one. That we would be unified in him. Unified, right? There's only one truth for the Christ follower that is important in this, in this um, aspect, and that is there's Jesus Christ. That's it. We follow him. It's him. He's the one who saved us. Nobody else. Nothing else. But the Corinthians are getting divided. Some are saying, I follow Paul. I like his style. I like the things he says. I follow Paul, Cephas, whatever. Um, they're, they're, they're creating subcultures and cliques within the church. Now, we say the church and we think about it like it's Acts Church. Remember, this is a city of 80 to 100,000 people. All right, it's a, big, it's a big area. Now, in America, if we had a city of 80 to 100,000 people, would there be just one church? No. There'd be a lot of churches, right? A lot of local expressions of the body of Christ. They would be divided. They'd be divided. And, and, and Paul's pointing out here that, look, Christ is the only one we should follow. He and Peter and Apollos are workers just like everyone else in the church, each according to his or her gifts. That's who they are. Christ is the one who we follow. We've, we've studied about the need for us as a local church, for us as Acts Church specifically, to be unified, to be in one accord, and so on. But we need to talk for a minute about the universal church because you're part of that too. You're part of the universal church too as a Christ follower. And sometimes we need to think about our responsibilities not only to ourselves or to our families or even to our church here at Acts Church, but our responsibilities to the kingdom of God worldwide. What are our responsibilities? What has Christ called us to to the kingdom of God worldwide, because you are part of that. You are actually responsible for as far as it is in your power to do what's right as to the universal church, the whole church. I'm not talking about universalists, okay, just so that no one gets uh, confused. I'm talking about the whole church, the worldwide church. Um, here's the thing. We're at a time in history where the universal church is fractured. 
is divided. And there's a lot of that, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos type stuff going on. Now, in some ways, there is actually a movement where there are those who are really moving toward unity. And that's great. That's amazing. Um, It's important, very important to take this seriously because it's the responsibility of Christ followers to be united, to be one, to be one. Each of us and each church as a whole, a local church, has the responsibility to be part of that solution of unification, of loving one another well. You've been listening to Pastor David Robinson from Axe Church in Camas, Washington, and part 16 in our series, Contentment in Christ, here on Contemplate. I hope you'll listen to the next episode as Pastor David teaches us more about the importance of unity and the church, and we'll learn about what kinds of things divide us and how to stay focused on what's really important and a lot more. And once again, here's Pastor David. Thanks, Ron. If you're looking for a church home, let me invite you to check out Axe Church in Camas, Washington. We're a real family that loves Jesus and each other. Come see us this Sunday. Get directions and all the info you need at axecamas.org or call us at 360-885-9000. I'm Ron Hagelgans. Great to have you along today. I do hope to see you this Sunday and be sure to listen to the next episode for more from our teacher, Pastor David Robinson, here on Contemplate.